Ron Morse and his family were in Southeast Asia to share the gospel of Christ. The village they were visiting wasn't very open to hearing their message. So they stopped and asked the Lord to show them who might be willing to listen. Then a woman walked by crying and carrying a baby. And so he stopped and said, why are you crying? And she said, well, uh, I'm going to die. And we said, how are you going to die? Well, a snake bit me and uh, the poison, I need to get back home so I can leave my baby at the house and then I'm probably going to die. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we're in the studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with Ron Morse. Ron is a longtime gospel worker in Southeast Asia. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Not just him, also his parents, also his grandparents. And so we will talk about how God has used their family over the years. Ron, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. You are also uh, someone who has helped Voice of the Martyrs with some projects over the years in Southeast Asia, reaching people with the gospel message. I want to talk, though, first about some of your family history, because your grandparents were missionaries to China, and then they had to flee, and then your family went to Burma, and then there was trouble there, and you all had to flee. There's a a bit of a pattern developing here. You had a situation, though, where you were trying to leave Burma, and you could not. Tell us what happened. Well, the government of Burma, back in the mid-60s, made a shift from a democratic path to more of a socialist, communist path, and ordered all missionaries to leave, along with a lot of other people. So in our effort to try and leave, we couldn't get out by air because of family illness, and they wouldn't give us an extension, so we left overland to go to India. We never got to India. We got to the border, but they wouldn't let us in, so... They said, just wait. And so in the process of waiting for permission to cross over, six and a half, almost seven years passed before we finally made connection back with the Burmese government. They sent a a, a helicopter to take out some of the family members, the older people, uh, my grandparents and my mom and uncle. And some of us walked out. And uh, we finally were able to exit, but that is basically the whole kind of context of what happened. We were able to leave Burma and uh, come back to the West after 11-year absence in Asia on that term. I've heard of people having visa trouble and having a little trouble crossing a border. I've never heard of anyone taking six years. What, What did you do for six years? First of all, we thought we were just waiting to leave. Okay, so talk about misdirection. Uh, But I believe that uh, there's a reason for all of that, that only in hindsight is that now clear. My generation had to grow up. I'm the third generation of the family, from my grandparents, my parents, and then down to our generation. We were just kids growing up. We grew up really to face the facts of life in the jungle. And I think God allowed those seven years in the jungle for us to come to terms with what is, what is involved in serving God? 
uh, it's not just a glamour, just the great vision of going somewhere. It's the actual nitty-gritty daily grind of survival. And we learned afresh what it meant to survive. My grandparents had learned that in Tibet. My dad and his generation had learned that in, in, in Western China. And in our generation, we learned it in the jungle. Uh, but that, that whole time there for us was, first of all, feeding ourselves. How do you get by day to day? No salt, simple things that you take for granted. Salt and um, blankets, shoes, socks, uh, clothes, uh, change of clothes, soap, toothbrush, toothpaste, all of that did not exist after about the first six or seven months. So trying to find replacements for all of those and to get by and still retain a healthy uh, sense of humor. A lot of things we began to realize and value and treasure how much we really did have, even though we were in a, in a very tough environment. But those years we learn to first of all survive for food and then find a purpose for being in the jungle. We started a, a, a school for the kids, uh, basically a formal education, but we had no paper, we had no chalk, no blackboards. We made blackboards after much experimentation using battery black with egg white. You mix it into a batter and you paint that on a piece of board and it does a very good imitation of black paint. Okay, now it might be toxic, but that's another story. <laughs> Uh, and for chalk, we went out to the riverside, found this chalk. We had to wash this uh, mud out through five different layers. The first, the first wash settled real fast, pour that off, let the second wash settle. By the time we got to the very murky, light third wash, it took three or four days before that all settled out. That's what we used for our final pouring off and drying it out and making it into chalk sticks. And that worked on the blackboard, see? So figuring out how to make things work. Uh, these are the things that, that, that life was all about. And again, that was the pathway where we were. It was right over the pathway in the Himalayan area called the Hump, where in World War II, airplanes had, had crashed because of high altitude. So the local people found uh, downed airplanes, and we got the aluminum skin from some of those aircraft. They were all scattered all over. We got the aluminum, melted it down, and made pots and pans from that. That meant we had to make sand sand cast forms those are things that we learned to survive and learn a lot of valuable lessons of patience and endurance and healthy good attitude in in the hardest of situations paul said i always give thanks and we looked at our parents the second generation people and our first generation grandparents and we learned from them that they didn't complain and to this day, that has stayed with all of my generation, that in ministry, no matter how tough things are, don't complain because now you're saying God doesn't know his business. Say, Lord, what do you want us to learn from this? How can we get through this? And how, what do you want us to learn and be able to teach others in our life? We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Ron Morse. He is one of our partners working in Southeast Asia. By the way, Ron's dad has written a book about their experiences Exodus to a Hidden Valley uh, by Eugene Morse. Ron, it's easy to think we shouldn't complain, you know, for a week or a month, maybe even three months of, of really trials and not, not getting to where we think God wants us to go. Six years, though, is a long time to keep that attitude and, and really live out that, okay, Lord, you must have us here for a purpose. I think you're right. And at first, as young teenagers in the jungle, we didn't really get it. I remember saying to my dad, Dad, you know, how long are we going to be here after the first year? 
And he said, you know, this is your university of hard knocks. Uh, you'll never get another education like this. You can always go back to college, high school. You can take whatever you want for the rest of your life. But an event like this, it either comes your way or it doesn't. When it does, how are you going to deal with it? It was a very important moment for myself and my brother and others of us too to realize that life can be tough, but everything will pass. It just may not pass as quickly as you want it to. (laughs) (laughs) But that six-year period of time became the training ground for the rest of your life and the ministry that you would go on to. So obviously God had a plan. He, he knew all along exactly what he had in mind. Can you talk a little bit about how you have drawn on that experience over the course of your ministry life uh, and the things you learned there and how that's affected the rest of your life? As, as a teenager, I was 13 when we went into the jungle, and I was 19 when we left. And I remember being completely at home with the Lisu people. It was my first language. English is my second. I was thinking, I I hope they don't ask me to stand up in church and pray. Today, maybe less so than in past times, a lot lot more people are expressive and more given more opportunity to discuss whatever they want to talk about in public, in classrooms. Teachers ask students what they think and, you know, get input and you have a voice. Whereas a long time ago, it was Kids, shut up. You, you are to be seen but not heard. And so that was kind of the sense over there. So we were always around but never really, you know, on the main stage doing stuff. In the jungle, that changed. And I knew that one of these days, one of the preachers or elders are going to ask us to do a closing prayer. And sure enough, at, at about age 15, it happened to me. But just before that happened, I remember something in my life that I really began to study God's Word. Uh, I had been, I had, I had accepted Jesus at age eight and a half. I was baptized in the U.S., you know, immersed and went back to Burma at the time. But my life really didn't change a whole lot in those in those next three or four years. It was only when I was about fourteen that I really began to look at God's word and really dive in when we were in the jungle. And I thought, you know, this is exciting stuff. Look at what God has done here. And I just began to get this heart to share with people. But I was scared to speak in public. Then they asked me to pray. And then when I was 15, I said, Lord, I'm scared to say this, but if you'll be with me, I will stand up. I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll never say no if somebody asks me to do something. As long as you're with me, I'm going to be okay. And I made that decision. And, you know, it wasn't two months later that they asked me to start teaching Sunday school. I did that for the next three years. Every Sunday, went through the whole Bible three times with my kids. And my sisters were in that. And to this day, they they have said, too, their first real consistent Bible training was during those three years. So... I and this I, is in the Lisu language. In the Lisu language, okay. yeah. And we had no tools to teach with. I was straight, you know, but I gave them tests. I was only 16, <laughs> 16 myself, you know. And uh, some of them were almost as, as old as me, but I would give them tests. I would quiz them next week. And we really had a, a almost a school-like environment, even though I hadn't been through that myself. I just thought, we just need to learn this information. And to this day, a lot of those people who are in those classes are in ministry today. Wow. So I think that even in the jungle, God is beginning to 
kind of get us tooled up in a very low-key environment without a lot of fanfare to find our legs to stand on in, in, in ministry. And it wasn't even... At that time, we weren't thinking in terms of long-term ministry. It just needed to be done. And I think God orchestrates it that way, that it, he makes it comfortable, even though it's, at the time, not that, not that comfortable, but more comfortable to get us kind of ushered right into yeah. that whole stream so that down the line we'll merge with a larger traffic that goes in one direction, and that is on towards eternity. So, yeah, something happened in during that time that really impacted me, and it had to do with our fields. We had to clear fields, slash and burn farming. We survived with the worst kind of food you can imagine, but you know what? When you're in it together and you have a sense of humor, you can get through anything. Never lose your godly sense of humor. Um, my mom would say, hey, I found something here. Let me ask you guys a question. What's what's worse than finding a worm in your food? And we had some jungle cakes that we made out of uh, rotten trees, okay? We made it into into a bread. And we said, we don't know, worse than a worm in your food? And she said, half a worm. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know where the other half already right, went, yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> so little things like that stay with you that you keep a sense of balance, of hardship, along with life and opportunity and God's presence with you throughout, throughout your entire journey. Ron, as we finish up, I have two more questions. And uh, in both cases, I want you to advise us. We have listeners to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio that uh, are preparing for mission service. Maybe they're young, maybe they're a little older, but they're getting ready or they feel the call of God to go overseas and serve him. How would you advise them as they prepare for that? You you were prepared by six years in the jungle. Uh, that's a hard way to prepare. But how would you advise our listeners who maybe feel that call of God and are thinking about, okay, I want to go, just give them a little bit of advice. There's two aspects to somebody going overseas, the senders and the actual goers. If you are in the sending category, if you send somebody, stand behind them. Don't abandon them on the field. For the actual goers, be a student first. Don't be a teacher. Don't be an arrogant I-know-it-aller. Okay? Be a student of that culture. Learn all about what makes them tick. What is it about that culture that keeps them in that particular religious minds, mindset and they don't just come running after Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, come save me. They're not saying that. And they're not going to say, oh, you finally showed up. We lucky people. No. Uh, and we shouldn't think that, oh, we, we arrived, you lucky people. No. So you have to be very low-key and, and allow the Lord to leave, lead and be open to opportunities uh, that would open the door for you to be able to break through and share the love of Christ and build relationships. Building relationships on the mission field is the first priority. Learning the language is the second. Learning about the culture and the religious thing is maybe the third. Or all of those are go simultaneously together. Don't give up when the going gets tough. You might have thought God was leading you and it's a dead end. It seems like when you come to a dead end, Look around because it might be a, a dead end at a T. You might need to go left or right. You can't go forward. That doesn't mean it's the end of the trail. There's a left and there's a right, possibly. Only when that fails should you turn around and come back. So there's all kinds of things that God might be wanting to 
help you to see, but you can only see it when you arrive at that point in your life and in your ministry. At that point, God will show you, this is the direction I really wanted you to go, not that. But I needed to use that as the hook to get you here. So these are things that God will train us and massage us to get ready for the all along the line. And it's not like I'm being prepared for that future ministry. Right now is ministry. But it's an ongoing preparation as well for the future things using the present environment for those future events that are yet to come. Uh, talking about how to break through. We were in Thailand from the very first trip out into the village. We were wondering how we were going to enter this village. Now, we, we knew the culture. We grew up among the Lisu. We spoke the language, slightly different dialect, but we could communicate. But we didn't know these people, and they didn't know us, and they were kind of scared, wondering who these white faces were. And we were on the outskirts of the village, and we were praying, Lord, how can we break into this village and receive, uh, not them receive us, but receive you in a way that takes a takes a, a focus off of us, but onto why we're here and bring it back on you. And as we were praying, within five minutes, this woman walks past us carrying a baby in a small basket and she's weeping. She's crying. And so we stopped her and said, why are you crying? And she said, well, uh, I'm going to die. And we said, how are you going to die? Well, a snake bit me and uh, the poison, I need to get back home so I can take leave my baby at the house and then I'm probably going to die. Where's your husband? Well, he's following behind me. But he had to pick up some stuff, and he's going to follow after me. I said, well, look, uh, we, we've got some snake bite kit that we have with us. We, we'd be happy to treat or do whatever, whatever we can. Would you let us help you? Well, I don't know. Uh, we said, look, look, if you're going to die, what, what's, you know, what's the harm? What, what's the harm? <laughs> what can you lose except your life, you know? So she said, okay, and she was a, a little hesitant because she's not the one who makes the decisions, but we went back with her into the house, and uh, she, we said, wash your feet real quick. Where did you get bitten? Well, on my foot, so wash it real good. So she washed it real good, and then her husband showed up and said, what are you doing in my house? And she explained, oh, oh, we can help your family. And so the, the, the focus wasn't on us, but as saving his wife. Right. And so we all stood around, there were about five of us there, my uncle and my cousins and myself, and we looked and, and we got out the snake bite kit and we realized that the snake bite was on her, on her middle toe. Okay, the, not the big toe, not the second toe, the, the middle, middle one. And well, you, you all know, if you look at your toes, it's very bony and there's very little flesh around it and a snake bite kit operates on vacuum, you know, a suction. There's nothing for it to actually suck against. So we had scratched our heads and we thought, you know, we're not going to, this isn't going to work. She's going to die and it's going to be on us now, you know. Lord, what shall we do? And he says, well, there's more than one kind of vacuum. There's more than one kind of suction, you know. And we thought, what? And so my uncle said, uh, guys, um, we're going to have to take turns and we're going to have to suck the venom from her toe. So take turns. You know, wash your mouth out after you're done. But so we took turns. <laughs> Here's this man's wife that that he himself doesn't know what to do, and he probably wouldn't be sucking on his wife's toe anyway. And here are the missionaries, white faces coming here, and and here's this woman uh, with a snake bite, and the husband is watching all these people, you know, trying to get the venom out of his wife's foot, you know, uh, using <laughs> mouth-to-toe resuscitation, <laughs> you know, uh, rescue. Well, she lived. 
And that evening, the whole house was filled, and we were able to preach the gospel. Why are you here? You know, how do you speak our language? And what's this message? What book is this that you said you brought us? And from there, we just the, the Lord opened the door. Wow. But so don't ever minimize the tool and the opportunity that God brings your way, even to having to suck on somebody's toe to make it happen. Maybe it won't happen that way for you. But be prepared. All I can say is be prepared for the unexpected and the unusual because God has a great sense of humor. We're talking today on Voices of Artists Radio with Ron Morse. He is a gospel worker in Southeast Asia. Ron, as as we finish up, one of our goals at Voices of the Martyrs Radio is to equip people to pray. How can we pray for the nation of Burma, the nation as a whole, but especially for our Christian brothers and sisters there? We need to pray that God will sovereignly work through his Holy Spirit, through angelic visitations, whatever. Because the people in that region, there aren't enough people skilled enough to work with another religious group like Buddhism or Islamic people or even animistic people from our Western perspective. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future, to prosper you, not to harm you. How can we communicate this to another faith persuasion? We need to pray that the that God would give us the wisdom to say just the right nugget of truth that will resonate in the heart of the people who hear. It's not how skilled we are. We do need skill. It's not how educated we are. We do need education and knowledge. Not arguing about that. But how do I know what you need? Only God's Spirit knows what is hurting in your heart and how I can say something without my even knowing that I'm actually saying the right words, but the Holy Spirit knows. If we are led by the Spirit, we will say the right words to a group of people, and in some way, each of them may hear something that resonates with them. That is what we need to pray for. And across the board, I would say, that is what we need to pray, that the people who are out there doing the hard work of hoofing it and getting to those mountain villages, that when they preach, the Spirit will be present to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment that's coming, righteousness that they don't have, and sin that they're full of. Okay, And when the Holy Spirit convicts them, we don't have to convert them. The Holy Spirit converts them. We're just there to pick up the pieces and do the after effect and help them grow up, nurture them to become disciples of Jesus Christ. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Ron Morse. He is a gospel worker in Southeast Asia. You can read the story of his family and uh, their time being really stuck in Burma, trying to get out of the country in a book called Exodus to a Hidden Valley by Ron's dad, Eugene Morse. We will uh, give you a link to that at vomradio.net as well. You can always come and listen to this whole conversation again and all the other episodes of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Ron, thank you for your service over the years, your family's service, and thanks for being our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I would just like to say also our sincere, from all of our team in the North Burma Christian Mission, they're laboring in northern Thailand today, uh, our express our thanks to not only Voice of the Martyrs as an organization, but to all of your supporters, all of the people that give through Voice of the Martyrs and stand with this ministry. I, too, am grateful for all who make the work of the Voice of the Martyrs possible. 
We've been talking with Ron Morse about the ways trials and adversity can prepare us to share the gospel. And those tough life circumstances can also open up the hearts of others to hear the gospel when we present it. If you missed any part of our conversation, I hope you'll listen in its entirety by visiting our website, vomradio.net. You can also find links there to subscribe to the VOM Radio podcast stream. Uh, Again, that website, vomradio.net. While you're there, you'll also find other conversations about ways you can become more effective at sharing your faith, even with people who might seem very different from you or have a different religious philosophy. Again, that's in the archives at vomradio.net. Next week, we're going to hear from Merv Knight. He is one of the co-founders of our sister mission in Australia. He has spent 50 years serving persecuted Christians around the world. He worked closely with Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, the founders of The Voice of the Martyrs, and he's going to share some of the amazing things and amazing stories that he's seen and that he's lived during that 50-year period. You won't want to miss that conversation with Merv Knight. So join us again next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.